0: Yes, praise forever to you, the King of Kings. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We lift your name high this morning in praise and in adoration because you are worthy of it. And Lord, we love you. We love you. You have been so good to us. God, you have been so gracious to us in Christ. And Lord, we pray that even as we continue in worship now over your word, Lord, that you would refresh our hearts. And Lord, that you would open our ears to hear your voice. Lord, we acknowledge that it is your word that we will open. It's your word that we'll study, Lord, and we pray for a work of your spirit, Lord, that we need, Lord, that we want that you would come, that you would, that you would speak, Lord, Lord, that you would correct us, that you would guide us, Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, and that you would be glorified, and that your people would be even more joyful in you. And I pray, Lord, today that you do a saving work. Lord, I pray that those who are far from you today would draw near. Lord, I ask that you would do a a thousand more things that, that would bring glory to you and do good to your church. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please take your seats. And if you would, if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I'd invite you to turn with me in the Bible to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 1. And uh, our text this morning, verses 14 to 17, Romans 1, verses 14 to 17. The title of my sermon is... What's so good about the good news? And just as you're turning there, whether it's uh, in a physical copy of the scriptures or powering it up on an app, as you're doing that, I just want to thank you for the invitation to come and to uh, preach here today. Uh, I bring you greetings from Hope Bible Church, Niagara, And uh, we are uh, just uh, delighted to be able to partner together uh, through the GCC, through the Great Commission Collective. Uh, This is my first visit visit here to your church, and uh, I've been warmly welcomed. Thank you for that. Uh, so grateful too for Paul and Sue Whittingstall. We know that you know them very well. And uh, so grateful for them. For my wife Leanne and I, we have been uh, warmly welcomed and embraced. We're fairly new to the GCC. Just started at Hope Niagara back in September of last year. And Paul and Sue have uh, just just uh, been a huge in embracing us and in helping us feeling connected to the GCC and extending the invitation uh, here today. So excited to be here, uh, grateful for the opportunity, excited to see what God is doing in the GCC, encouraged to hear what God is doing in your church, and we'll be joining you in prayer as you search for a lead pastor uh, that God would have for you. We know we trust his timing. He's faithful, he's able, he's good. Amen? And so he will provide in his time. We'll trust him for that. Well, I don't make it a habit of staring at people's tattoos, but this one caught my eye. I was at a baseball game at a Blue Jays game a few years ago, and uh, a young man came and he passed in front of me and sat nearby, and as he was passing by, I noticed he had a tattoo on the inside of his forearm. Two lines of beautiful calligraphy, and uh, right away I made out the first line, but it took me about three or four innings of looking over before I could make out the whole of what it said. And when I saw the whole of what was written on his arm, I have to tell you, I was really taken back. There, tattooed on his arm, two lines of script, it said this. It said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to take the chance. Huh? Now, I'm sure that whatever that's supposed to mean, I'm sure it's got some special, personal meaning for the guy who's got it on his arm. Somebody has told me that it's actually a line out of a country song. I don't know. I I can't verify that for you. Maybe a Google will answer that for you later. But what's striking to me is that here is a guy, probably in his early twenties, a young man who's got permanently embossed on his body a statement that on one level speaks to the ominous reality of death and on another level about uncertainty with regards to the afterlife, imprinted right on his body. Struck me as, as really striking. And a thought occurred to me, you know, I don't think there's anybody that I know personally that's got that imprinted on their body. But I'll tell you this. There's lots of people I know that, got, that have that impressed on their hearts. Namely, a lot of people have uncertainty about what's to come, about the afterlife. Hidden under the smiles and laughter of your family and friends, for many of them, are fears and worries about death and what might be awaiting them when they pass from this life into the next. Many, we know, are unprepared for what's to come beyond this life. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we know it doesn't have to be like that, does it? We know that. As Christians, we've come to know that you can be sure about heaven. You, 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 can, be, you can be confident. You can have peace in this life and hope beyond death, certainty about eternal life. We, we know this in Jesus. We've got some incredibly good news that our family and friends need to hear we, we know some things that our neighbors and our coworkers and our teammates need to know. We've got the truth about Jesus Christ. God has entrusted to his church, to you and to me, the soul-saving message of Jesus for a lost and dying world. We, we've got news that can bring salvation, that can bring peace, that can bring hope, that can bring eternal certainty and security to anyone who believes. We've, we've got this. But many of us have a problem. And the problem that we encounter is that for many of us, we lack the courage to share that good news. I mean, we know it's good news, and we know we've got answers that people need. We know we've got hope that people are dying to have. But far too often, we find ourselves in situations where we lack the courage and the strength to share the good news. Let's face it, let's just be honest. The reality is, is it can be a pretty scary thing to share the gospel with others. It it can be. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't think it's scary at all. Probably the rest of us would say you're in the minority. The reality is, there's lots of things we're afraid of when it comes to sharing the gospel. We're afraid, lots of us are afraid we'll just mess it up. I I won't get it straight. I won't I won't say it right, or, or fear that I, I won't know what to say in the moment. Or many of us are maybe concerned about how people will respond, and, and fearful maybe of opposition that might come our way. It it takes courage to stand for Jesus. It takes some strength. So my question for you this morning is: How do we get that strength to to, to stand? How do we find the courage we need to share Jesus? with a world that desperately needs him? Where, where do we find the power, the fortitude to give good news to people who need to hear it? Well, Paul the apostle, I'll tell you this, he knew lots about opposition. He knew all about how scary it can be to share the gospel. We, we read in scripture the reality that he was ridiculed and rejected. He was threatened. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was mocked all in the ministry of Jesus, all sharing the gospel. He knew about the difficulties that could come our way when you declare the gospel in a lost, broken world. Yet, despite those realities, can you think of anybody who was more bold of an evangelist than Paul? Anyone more faithful? Anyone more courageous? So you look at the apostle Paul and you ask yourself, how did he do that? How, how, and how do I get some of that on me? So I have some of that courage. That I have some of that strength. A measure of that fortitude. How do I get some of that? Well, I think we find it in part here in Romans chapter 1. In, in Romans chapter 1, we read here a text where Paul shares with us some of, I want to say a secret. It's no secret, but if you understand what I mean, some of the secret. Uh, he, he shows us in part, where he gets the strength to share Jesus. Now, I'm going to read from verse 13, just for context, but our focus is going to be 14 through 17, all right? So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 13. He says there, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager. Notice that I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So where, where, where's this eagerness come from? It's scary. And he's eager. Where does it come from? Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What was Paul's strength? How did he find the courage to share the good news about Jesus? How do I find that? Well, the first main thing I want you to see is this. The courage to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the news we share. Let me say that again. The courage to share the good news comes from, the strength to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the good news That we share. Do you notice Paul used a couple of words? Uh, He used a word uh, that spoke about his sense of urgency. Verse 14, he used the word obligation. Did you notice that in the text? I am under obligation. He's like, I feel a strong sense of obligation. To share the gospel. I take that to mean, you know, he's come to know the the, the saving grace of Jesus. And and uh, uh, he he's realized that you know he's been plucked as a brand from hell. He he's come to realize that he can have life forever, that he doesn't deserve through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith. He's come to know God personally and now feels a sense of obligation to share that good news with others. Not only that, he talks about being Do you see that in verse 15? So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, for those of us who lack courage, that's a word that strikes, that makes us curious. Because we're like, how do you, how is a man who is beaten, ridiculed, mocked, imprisoned, ultimately killed for the sake of the gospel? How is it that he is eager to do that? Well, he tells us, about his source of strength in verses 16 and 17, about the goodness of the good news. It's incredibly good news. He says, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Yes, there's shaming that comes, but I'm not stopped. That shame doesn't stop me. I'm not ashamed. I'm not held back from preaching the gospel, from sharing the good news about Jesus. Why? He says, because of how good it is. Well, how how is it good? He says, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, loved ones, that right there is the quote-unquote secret. There's the strength he finds. He says, I'm under obligation. I am eager. Why? Why, Paul? Because of how good the good news is. When you realize the goodness of the good news you share... It has a way of, by the spirit of God, by the goodness of God and his work in us, it has a way of strengthening us and giving us this kind of eagerness here that Paul is talking about. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you desire is just greater strength, greater boldness, greater eagerness? Well, loved one, a key step for you to take is, by God's grace, is to ask him to open your eyes again to see the goodness of the good news that you've got. This is what he's saying here. That there's many ways by which God emboldens and empowers us. We get strength from the Holy Spirit. We know about the reliability of God's word, the fellowship of the saints, answered prayers, the, the testimonies of others who, uh, who see God at work as they share the gospel. There's lots of ways that God will strengthen us and grant us courage to stand for Jesus and to share the good news. But another way, an important way we see here in this text is knowing the goodness of the good news. Let me ask you this. Do you have this morning a real sense of the goodness of the gospel. Like, does it land on you today as incredibly out of this world good news? For some of us, you'd say, yes, praise God, I do. Praise God, I do. For others, maybe you say, nah, I want to. I think I want to more than I do. Wherever you're at this morning on that, what I want to focus on now is what is so good about the good news. This is really the heart of the message, and. And Paul tells us three reasons that the gospel is incredibly good news. The good news about Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection. Three reasons why the gospel is good news. First of all, he tells us that the gospel is good news because of what it is. Because of what it is. Well, what is it? Do you notice? Verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Notice that phrase there, the power of God. The gospel message, the good news about Jesus, is, Paul says, power from God. It's a powerful message. To understand that, loved ones. The gospel is good news because of what it is. It's the power of God. That word power there, uh, the the Greek word from which we we get that word uh, that's rendered there, power, is related to our word in English, dynamite. The Greek word is, I don't want to throw along a lot of Greek because I don't really know a lot of Greek, but the word is dunamis, and that's where we get our word dynamite from. You know what dynamite is, right? It's that explosive stuff, like we want to build a road here, uh, you know, to, to head north. But, oh, there's a big rock face in the way. No problem. Dynamite's the answer. Got big rocks? Dynamite will move it. You drill holes in, you put the dynamite in, and boom! And the immovable moves... That is the gospel, loved ones. It is a powerful message that moves the immovable. It's power from God, Paul says. That's why he's eager to preach it. That's why he's not ashamed. Yeah, they're shaming, but the shame doesn't hold me back because I know something about what it is. It's the power of God to save. Loved ones, understand that the gospel is different from anything else that the world has to offer. One of the realities of me, if you get to know me well, is you know that I've got a weakness. I've got lots of weaknesses, but one of my weaknesses is books. books. I, if you take me into a chapters or some kind of a bookstore, you should plan to be there for a while. Because once I get in there, there's a lot of things I can walk past in life, but I see some books that I'm just all in and interested. I love, I, I really enjoy, one of the things I enjoy to do on my vacation is find the bookstore and just spend time in there. Walk up and down the aisles and look at different books. And uh, one of the sections I'm always curious about is the self-help section. Because for me as a pastor, it helps me to be fresh on and remember lots of things that people are asking about and wondering about. And so and, and wanting help and victory over. So I, I like to just peruse that, that um the, the self-help books. And uh, when you go into that self-help section, you find there are all kinds of real practical guidance. And listen, I'm not down on this stuff. It's, uh, I, I don't, don't blame anybody for looking to try to improve their life. You find books in there, to, strategies for success, ideas for improving yourself, how to be a, the better you, to be the best you that you can be. Uh, You'll find lots of books, lots of help that the world gives to try to help you improve yourself. But here's the thing, dear brother, dear sister, understand this. The gospel is something totally different from that. Yes, it contains the gospel message, has information, but it's not just information. It's power from God to change you. Like when you declare the good news about Jesus, do you understand that God is at work there? It's dynamite, it's power. So you can see some of why Paul has some courage. Yeah, it's a little scary. But I'll tell you something. It's a powerful thing to declare the good news about Jesus. The gospel is good news because of what it is. The gospel is also good news because of what it does. What does it do? Do you notice what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. You see that? For salvation. That's what the gospel does. It's a saving message. It's got the power to save. Well, save me from what? Well, the Bible tells us that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, saves us from the penalty of sin. The Bible is really clear. Romans is really clear. All have sinned. In fact, Romans is really clear that, you know, when it comes to the afterlife, You should be worried if you don't have Jesus. It says that there is judgment to come for those who've sinned against God. That there will be tribulation and distress for those who are evil. That we will give an account for ourselves before a holy God. That's a scary thing. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He died for you. This Romans 8 and 32 says... God gave him, Jesus, God gave Jesus up for us all. That is that you did the crime, but Jesus took the punishment. Isn't that astonishing? Isn't that astonishing? He is, we talk about, in the, as theologians, as we are, right? We talk about Jesus being the substitute. He took my place. You know what a substitute is, right? Like how many of you are hockey fans here? Anybody a hockey fan in the, in the room? Okay, about three or four people in the room. Okay, all right. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, for the three or four of you who are hockey fans, right, when the when the goalie gets a penalty, who goes to the penalty box? It's not the goalie, is it? It's a strange quirk about hockey, right? The goalie can do all kinds of things, but he doesn't go to the penalty box. Somebody else goes and serves the penalty for him. That's the idea. The goalie did the infraction. He slashed the guy in the leg. He punched the guy in the jaw. But somebody else is taken penalty for him. That's that idea that Jesus paid the penalty for us, which is an astonishing truth. Here's the thing. There is a God who made you. He made everything that there is, and he made you to know him and to love him and to enjoy him forever. But you know, the reality is that we've not loved him. We have not treated God like God. The Bible calls that sin. And every one of us are guilty of it. And the evidences of that are all over our lives. And that sin separates us from God, puts us under his judgment. But Jesus came and took the penalty for our judgment. So that when you trust in Jesus, the penalty that's against you is paid in full. And you stand forgiven. That's an awesome thing. And the gospel, the good news about the gospel has power to save. It has power to bring people into this saving relationship with Jesus. Whereby we're saved from the penalty of our sin. Not only does the gospel save us from the penalty of our sin. Listen, it saves us from the power of sin too. See, when, when we trust in Jesus, not only are our sins forgiven, but we're given power for living from the Spirit of God. The gospel, when we believe in Jesus, when we hear and, and respond in faith to the gospel, it sets us, God sets us on a new course in life for, where we have his power at work in us to, to change us. That's why Romans 6 4 says that we have a, a, a new life, that as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too walk in newness of life. The gospel it's, it saves us from the power of sin, saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and here got even something even better. One day, one day, you will see that you'll be saved also from the very presence of sin, because there's coming a day when you will be with the Lord in heaven. That's why Romans five two says, "We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God." That is the confident assurance. That when you've got Jesus, you've got a sure thing in the afterlife. You know it's not up to chance. it's up to Jesus who sealed the deal, so we can be confident in the power of God and the faithfulness of God to do what He says that He will do for us in Christ. You see how good the good news is about Jesus? saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day praise God from the very presence of sin. We will no longer'll uh, we'll no longer be in this fallen world, in this fallen condition, but we'll be with the Lord forever. It's an awesome thing. You see where some of the courage comes here for Paul to preach the gospel, to share the good news about Jesus? Do you see where you and I will find some of the strength, too, when we think about when we remember the goodness of the good news. What's so good about the good news? Well, one is about the goodness of the good news. The scene, it's good news because of what it is it's the power of God. Also, the gospel is good news because of what it does it saves. When people hear the good news about Jesus and respond in faith, it saves. But there's a third thing that Paul tells us that's so good about the good news, a third reason that he sees the gospel as good, and it comes to us in verse 17. He says, in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a tough verse to understand. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther used to hate this verse. He hated this verse because he thought... That When he read here about the righteousness of God, he understood it to speak about the righteousness of God in terms of the, uh, an attribute of God, that God is righteous. And you say, well, how did he, why do you hate the verse? Well, he hate it because he's reading about good news and about the goodness of the good news, but then reads about the gospel revealing the righteousness of God. And he wondered, how is that good news? Because it just reminds me that I'm unrighteous. It just reminds me that I'm unholy. It's, when I see the righteousness of God as a sinner, I stand condemned. He's like, how is that good news? It really bothered him. And it tore him up. That is until it bothered him, until he realized what it actually means. That when Paul here talks about the righteousness of God, he's not talking about the righteousness of God as an attribute, which is true. But in this text here, he's speaking of the righteousness of God, not as an attribute of God, but as a gift from God to repentant sinners. A gift of righteousness where God counts us righteous in Jesus. You and I are not righteous. I don't know if you knew that. If you're not sure of whether or not you're righteous, ask your spouse. Ask your sister or your brother. Ask a good friend. Am I righteous? And when they get done giggling, and maybe even wiping away tears from their eyes, and they realize that you're serious... You'll be disabused of any notions of righteousness in yourself. The reality is is that we are not righteous. But this is why the gospel is such good news. It's good news because of what the gospel reveals. And what Paul says that the gospel reveals to us is it shows us that though we are not righteous, God gives us the gift of righteousness so that we would be counted righteous in him. The one thing, the one thing that God demands of you and me is something that we don't have. Righteousness. But the good news about Jesus is that when we trust in him, God clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus. So that not only are we forgiven of our transgressions, but we are seen as righteous through the the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredibly good news? Now, some of you may be struggling with this still and think, Okay, I hear you saying I'm not righteous. I hear you say, ask my spouse. Okay, I can imagine how that conversation might go. But just hold on a minute, preacher. Just hold on. I'm not a bad person. Like, seriously. I'm not a bad person. And I, I would say, well, no, you're probably not. But maybe you think yourself as you're a good person. You try to do the right thing. I work hard. I try to be honest. And you probably do. And you'd say to me, is that nothing? Is that, is that nothing before God? Let me illustrate it for you this way. When I was in elementary school, I've, I've never been particularly athletic. That might shock you looking at me standing in front of you today, but I'm not really a, a natural-born athlete. And uh, so I was never really good at anything athletic-y. And uh, that, that's a word, but when I was in elementary school, I remember uh, one of the units we did for gym class was uh, track and field. And part of the track and field stuff was the, uh, the field part of that was doing high jumping. Now, you know how high jumping works. They get out a, they get out a bar, and uh, they set it at a certain height, and there's a big crash pad behind it. And the whole idea is you run up to that bar, and you jump as high as you can. And if you clear the bar, you're successful. Now, again, I'm not very athletic. I'm looking at this bar. I'm not feeling good about my chances. And, uh, but everybody's got to try, so I'll give it a try. Now, the teacher taught us there's a couple of different ways that we could do it. There's one called the scissor step. He demonstrated that. I thought, I don't think I have the coordination for that. The other one, was called the, he called it the Western Roll. I don't even know if they teach this anymore, but I remember he called it that. And what you did was you run up to the bar, and you take your, your outside leg, and you throw it into the air, and you just sort of let the laws of physics take over from there. And I thought, that's my style right there. So my turn came, and I look at that bar and that crash pad and I just take a deep breath, and I run up toward that bar, and I take my outside leg, and I throw it up in the air, and my body just go probably made those noises too, through the air, and I crashed down on the pad and cleared the bar. I'm shocked. (laughs) Beginner's luck, right? Let's try this again. So I get back in line, going to do it again. I run up to that bar. Now i got a little bit of confidence. Not arrogance, but a little bit of confidence. I'm running up toward that bar. I'm like, I can can do this. I just did this. I can do this. I take my outside leg. I throw it in the air. My body, through the air. Cleared the bar again. And that's when I thought to myself, this is it. This is my athletic calling. (laughs) I am a high jumper. And I'm going back to my classmates feeling good about being me. And then my teacher did something that altered my future for good. (laughs) He raised the bar. (laughs) No problem. I got this. I just have to throw my leg harder. Run a little faster. And so I line up on the line and I run toward that. I got a little more speed this time. And I get up toward that bar and I throw my leg in the air. Woo, 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 and I crash straight through the bar. I am no high jumper. Now, here's, here's the point. As long as righteousness is whatever you and I say it is, as long as our standard of righteousness is at the level that we set it at, we'll clear it every time. But the thing is, is, it's not where we set it at. You say, I'm a good person. You probably are, as far as we count goodness. But the reality is, is that when we read the Bible, we find that we stand before a holy God who is wholly righteous. And before him, we fall short. The standard isn't what you and I say it is or want to think it is. The standard is God. And we fall woefully short but that's why the gospel is such good news, because of what it reveals, that even though we fall short in Jesus, we clear the bar and find right standing before God. So God looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus. And we, I mean, we haven't loved God perfectly, but Jesus did. We haven't, uh, we, we haven't loved others selflessly always, but Jesus did. We haven't achieved God's standards of holiness, but Jesus did. And all of Jesus' didness is counted to us. And that's what the gospel teaches us. That's what it reveals. It shows us that while I am unrighteous, I can stand before God righteous and loved ones what it means for you and me is uh, you and i we don't have to labor to get god to like us i don't have to fear that my next failure will flummox this and take it away from me or that my weaknesses will do me in i stand before god righteous with the righteousness that he supplies it's all gift and i receive it from jesus by faith That's what's so good about the good news. Because of what it is, it's the power of God. Because of what it does, it saves. Because of what it reveals, the righteousness of God for you and for me as a gift in Jesus. And loved ones, there is the strength for us. There is the conviction. There is the eagerness to share when you realize the goodness of the good news. It's such a good message. Don't you want to share it? Don't you want to be the person Who God uses to speak a message of power, of salvation, of the gift of righteousness. Don't you want to be that man, that woman that God uses? Well, loved one, remind yourself. Ask the Lord to refresh your heart today about the goodness of the good news. In fact, my appeal to you would be to this. I I would say very practically and pastorally, I would encourage you today to be very serious about cultivating an eagerness to share the gospel. To cultivate, since the gospel is such good news, cultivate an eagerness to share the gospel. You know what I mean by by cultivate? Like, Like work up, be intentional about being eager and working up in you an eagerness to share the gospel. You say, how do I do that? By meditating on the goodness of the good news that we've got to share. Meditating on it thinking on it. Next time you celebrate communion together, take that as an opportunity to rehearse for yourself the goodness of the good news. Remind yourself of what God has done for you in Jesus. Think about this. Where would you be? Where would you be right now if it wasn't for Jesus? And let the goodness of God in your life refresh you on the goodness of of the good news. I think another way you can cultivate an eagerness to share the gospel is by actively seeking opportunities to share it. Because there's something that happens when God gives us an opportunity to tell somebody else about Jesus. There's something that happens by God's grace and by the Spirit of God in us that refreshes us that this is such a good message. Even if that conversation doesn't go good, we're reminded about uh, the goodness of the good news. Pray for opportunities. Look for them. Take bold action. Got an opportunity, Jerry just mentioned this morning, got September the 18th, a barbecue. I mean, who doesn't like barbecue in your life? Invite them out there. Take an opportunity that's a, a low-hanging fruit way of you, uh, of you and even a gentle way of introducing somebody to Jesus and, and to open a door by God's grace to share the goodness of the good news. Loved one, cultivate an eagerness to share the gospel. Ask God. Ask God to convict you and to remind you in your heart about how good it is to know Jesus. Ask him for that. Pray for that today. Pray for that right now. Lord, do that in me. I need that. Since the gospel is such good news, cultivate an eagerness to share it. And as you do, as you resist being silenced or being controlled by the shaming that comes your way, you will experience something of the power of God that you proclaim in Jesus. What's so good about the good news? Gospel is good news because of what it is. It's the power of God. Because of what it does, what does it do? I should be quizzing you. Because what does it do? It saves. It saves. And because of what it reveals. What does it reveal, loved ones? The righteousness. God's gift of righteousness to us through Christ. Now, before I close... I do think I'd be remiss if I didn't say one more thing. There's a vitally important question I think should be answered after a sermon like this. And it's that if you're hearing this good news today, and it's landing on you as good news, perhaps for the first time, Maybe not the first time you've heard it, but it's the first time it's landing on you as good news. You might be wondering today, what do I do with this? You've been talking to all these folks about sharing this good news. This is good news that I need to do something with this. What, what do I do? I want to answer that question for you. How you can get this and make this yours, the text we've read tells us, I think, repeatedly. But I want to point it out to you. Verse 16, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize as I read so you'll hear. Verse 16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. In other words, for anybody. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hear those words? Believe. Faith. Another word we could use is trust. How do I get this and make this mine? You get it by receiving it by faith. Putting your confidence, putting the weight of your trust in Jesus. That not only did he die for you, not only did he rise from the dead, but you trust him with you, with your very soul. You put your confidence in him. And I want you to see today that maybe impressed in your heart is that line, everybody wants to go to heaven. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. Nobody wants to take the chance. I'm afraid. You don't need to be fearful anymore. But today, if you would turn to Jesus and receive him, you can have your sins forgiven. You can have this life, this righteousness we're talking about, and the certainty of a home in heaven. In fact, I think a great way for you, even right now, to just express that faith is to talk to God about it. The team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a closing worship song. But I just want to take this moment as they come, to pray. And I think a great way, I mean, you don't have to do this, is, but, but I, I think a great way is to just where you are, even just to bow your head. Or maybe you want to look up to the ceiling or whatever, but just to take a moment, to do what you can do, just, just to be by yourself for a moment with God. And if what I'm praying is what you are feeling in your heart and your mind, then just say, yes, what he's saying. Lord, you can just repeat it after me quietly, or in your own heart, whisper it, speak it. But if you want to express your faith in the Lord today, you could pray to him something like this. This is no magic formula. This is, you just put it in your own words, but here's something you might say. Lord, I can see that one thing you demand from me, righteousness, is something that I don't have. But I also see that there's a gift that you offer me through Jesus. The gift of righteousness, of salvation, forgiveness from sin, and a new life. I see, as best I can, that I can get that in Jesus. And Lord, I want you to know that I'm asking for that today. Lord Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me. And I believe that you are able to save me from the penalty of sin and from its power. I receive from you now the gift of righteousness, righteousness in God's sight. And I receive it from you, Lord Jesus. And I pray in your name, amen.